Hi, I'm Jason, the creator of The Grey Rooms. We have some pretty neat news. The Grey Rooms has been selected as one of the top 15 horror story podcasts by Feedspot.com. We are so happy to share this honor with some podcasts I am sure you know, or if you don't, I would highly recommend you check them out. Podcasts like Nocturnal Transmissions, Be Scared, The Wicked Library, and of course, The No Sleep Podcast, which I am certain I don't need to tell most of you about that one. It is such an honor to be put on a list with some of the inspirational artists that have made the Grey Room's idea go from a nightmare to, well, your nightmare now. <laughs> we were also recently listed in the top 400 in the Apple Podcast app, so thank you all for that. It is your listens and your ratings and reviews that truly helps us achieve these milestones. We are currently streaming for free on Spotify and would love for you to join us there. Just open the app or browser and search The Grey Rooms, then sit back and enjoy. We would also like to thank those who support this show on our Patreon. They help keep the lights on and the plumbing working. Thank God. Without their contributions, this would be me sitting in a basement, snapping celery, and screaming into the walls all by myself. Honestly, not too far from the real thing. Hmm. Anyway, thank you to all of our patrons. Patrons like Amy Nikolai, Arthur Runk, Ashley Enstrom, Brooks Bigley, Elizabeth Dowell, Jackalbot Snows, Jason Porras, Kathleen Clyde, Kelly Bear, Michael Velez, Michael Zinke, Michael Philip BG, Patrick Stewart, The Portrait of Knox Podcast, The Original Nick Show, and Ronald Watson. Thank you again for all of your support behind the scenes. You allow us to grow this product. Please, if you can while you are here, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It would mean so much to us. And let us all celebrate this episode and news together. Episode 11, so close to the finale. Wrapping it all up nice and tight for you. But without any more delay, let's get on with the episode. You awake. The elevator is small and cramped. There is a strange old man. He's mumbling. You hear a ding and he forces you out. You're lost. You have no memory of this place. How did you get here? Where are you? It doesn't matter. Because now, you belong to the Grey Rooms. Season 2, Episode 11. Could feel them moving beneath my skin, fanning their lethargic wings. Their lethargic wings. 
In the mirror, the fire raged and the house began to fall to flames. Poetic justice sweetens the honey of revenge. I came here for her, and it's taken us both instead. that. God. <sighs> no elevator again. Am I still even in the gray rooms? I'm on a balcony somewhere. I'm at the top of the hotel. I can see the doors down there for the lobby. Oh, look at this skyline. People, cars, the whole world going on without me. <sighs> and here I am, stuck on the balcony of an old-timey roof bar. Restaurant? And those are tables inside. Yeah. Ah. Uh. <sighs> hey, Bob. Miss Winters. Didn't know you smoked. Oh, all the time. Careful, though. These things will kill you. Not really a problem for me, is it? A fair point. Would you like one? Please. nice. <laughs> it's been a while. Indeed. Bob, why am I up here? I've shown up a couple times outside the elevator now. As I said when last we spoke, management approves of your efficiency. What's that supposed to mean? As such, I have been given leave to offer you certain simple rewards. I was hoping a nice drink at the bar, without having to converse with Todd first, would be a balm to your soul. That didn't quite turn out how you planned, huh? <clears throat> it did not. This time around, I thought you might enjoy a nice meal. A meal? You expressed some time ago that you were hungry. Huh, I did didn't I? I'm not, now. Now that I know. Now that I know... That you are quite dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I don't have to pretend to be alive anymore. Not really hungry or tired or... anything. If I were actually standing on this roof somewhere, I bet I'd be freezing. I was always cold, 
when I was alive. Hmm. Here now, be just a minute, you two. I haven't had to do anything in the kitchen for a long time. I hope I still remember which way to hold a knife. <laughs> Todd is cooking? Huh. No. The food is being brought here. He's just doing some preparations. Setting the right mood. Good. I get the impression he's not exactly a celebrity chef. Oh, what? Forget it. I'm a little surprised you want to do something nice for me. You haven't been shy about what you think about us humans. You mistake my actions for compassion, Miss Winters. They are not. I do not care if you enjoy this in the slightest. Management, on the other hand, has goals they wish to see come to fruition. You have begun to play a part in those plans. And so, in turn, they have an interest in preserving some measure of your goodwill, your sanity, and your patience. I made the arrangements, ordered Todd to complete them, and now I stand here on this balcony, exhaling carcinogens through these disgusting mammal lips. That is the extent of my involvement. Gee, Bob. And here I thought you were starting to like me. What am I doing that has management pleased? I mean, as far as I can tell, I just make your life difficult, and then I get in the elevator with Todd, and then I die. Over and over again. Yes, that's what you're here for. Your purpose. How is that helpful? To anyone? You just torture me in new and different ways. And if your goal is to torture me, then why do something nice? Why feed a meal to someone you're just going to murder again? Have I given you the slightest indication I'll answer these questions any differently than I have the others you've asked? We've never smoked cigarettes together, Bob. It's a brand new day. What if... I mean... What if it's not about me? That thing Todd said about other places... Is that it? Is Miss it... Miss Winters... I strongly encourage you to discontinue your line of thinking now. If my generosity is challenging for you, then by all means, cease your prattle, and I will escort you down to the lobby, and we can find a fitting place for you to die this time. One with seas of acid, or monuments of living flesh, fed eternally by sightless caretakers, or decades as a catatonic patient, Trapped within your own mewling corpse, perhaps. Would that make you happier, Samantha? Right then. Sorry about that. I'm all ready for you in here. Why don't you both come and... Uh, <clears throat> My apologies, Miss Winters. I am under some strain of late. Please... Let's enjoy this meal. Whatever you say, Bob. Who in the hell was that? 
this is quite a fancy spread, isn't it? All these fancy platters and doilies and napkins. <laughs> Plenty of drink, don't you worry. <laughs> Okay, so I'll tell Daddy how you'll do the honours. We've got all your favourites, me. We've got chicken parmesan here. That's like your auntie used to make. Oh, and here, a couple of old steaks your old dad used to grill up on the 4th of July. We've got a nice fat stack of hot cakes from that diner in the corner near where you lived your freshman year of university. Crispy bacon, butter and syrup, all the trimmings. And for dessert, the pie Reverend Hicks used to make, eh? He was a bastard through and through, seems like, but he did make a mean apple pie, he did. <laughs> well, let's eat up. It'd be a shame to let the food get cold. Took an awful lot of effort to get it here. I keep looking for the maggots. What, what maggots? I mean, this is a trick, right? I'm going to go eat some of Aunt Mary's chicken parm, and it'll suddenly be filled with maggots. Or it'll look like a dead baby or something horrible. I can assure you, no maggots. Keeping me happy? Doing what you're told? If you please, this... <sighs> this is supposed to be a reward. No tricks. Yes, sir. This apple pie is very good. The Reverend killed dozens of people in a madness-fueled push for power. But he was also a talented baker. <sighs> this is supposed to make me feel better, right? My apologies. What should we talk about? Todd was telling me some interesting things about where he came from. Maybe you could tell me where you come from, Bob. He was, was he? Oh, <laughs> oh no, no worries, no worries. That's little idle chat, paying no mind. Indeed. Miss Winters, you are not going to get any charming anecdotes from me. All right. Todd. What about you? If this was your favorite food here, what would you have on the table? Ooh, a great question, miss. A happy thought. Oh, let's see. Oh, me mum used to make this lamb shank stew. Just the best thing in the world. 
and my first wife, darling girl she was, uh, when it was my birthday, she'd make up a big pot of chilli, very spicy. Delicious, oh it was. Oh, and for dessert, ice cream, zavelberry uh, and fudge. There was a dairy farm just down the way from where I grew up. Zavelberry. Sweets, miss. Tasty little purple berries. Sugary and delicious. Pineapple and ham pizza. What? No one asked what I would want on the table. I have, to be fair, not eaten that many dishes. But pineapple and ham pizza was... incredible. Oh. Oh. Did I say something funny? Uh, no, no, you're fine. Just, if I needed any more proof you're not human, well... <clears throat> oh, don't tease him too hard, miss. He's all right. Could be far worse. Some of the fellas I met here are... Oh, bad news. Hmm. Oh, now, when I first got here, it was a nightmare. All the old stories, right? Red-up pokers and rusty nails and all manner of unpleasantness. <laughs> Todd. Oh, that's why I was so grateful to be brought in on the grey rooms, miss. It's like I told you when you started up this run. It's all so interesting, you know, watching you go places and meet people and die. Todd. <laughs> oh, this one's been a good one, hasn't it? Lasted a lot longer than the last few times. Oh, so many tasty trips out and back. The water must be so pleased. If I were a betting man, I'd say with the fun little favours our man Bob here is doing you, I bet you last longer than any of them ever have. <laughs> God damn it, Bob! I am sorry, Miss Winters, but his mouth was getting away from him. Every time you try to do something nice for me, someone dies. You do see that, right? If it makes you feel any better, Todd will be back on the elevator soon, I'm sure. The warden will see to it. Right. God, this place is weird. Would you like to finish your meal? I think... I think the moment has passed. Yes, I suppose it has. And since Todd is face down in some pancakes, I suppose I will have to run the elevator for you. If you follow me. I tried to pick rooms that you might like as well, relatively speaking. One is a room inhabited by an artist, just like you. The other is a room in a quiet little retirement home in the American South. Oh, Bob, you do know how to treat a lady right. I get to pick two nice ways to die. I guess I'll go with the artist. It's been a while since I picked up a paintbrush. Going down then. Room 430. Just remember, Miss Winters, everyone's a critic. 
You watch the woman step off the curb, I said into the tape recorder. And you try to shout a warning, but the words stick in your throat. <sighs> I grimaced. All the practice I'd put into telling the story seemed to evaporate. There's that moment just before something terrible happens, where everything slows just long enough for you to notice details that otherwise might pass you by. The strap on the lady's handbag is broken and she's clutching it to her hip. There's a distracted smile on her face, as if she's just finished talking to someone she's fond of. A stray lock of hair falls across her forehead. Then the car hits her. I stopped the recorder with a click and chewed on my lip as I looked around the waiting room. My appointment was late, which was entirely expected. In another ten minutes, his personal assistant would wander back in and say that she was very sorry, but there was just no way that Fletcher Brand would be able to meet with me today. I had rehearsed the look I'd wear upon receiving the news, the one that told her I was disappointed, but understood. Mr. Brand was a busy man, preparing for the first exhibition of his work this decade. Who was I, indeed? Who was anybody to fault him for failing to keep an interview appointment set up months in advance? I made a face. The truth was that Brandt's work was mostly dog shit. Championed by rich idiots who wanted to impress other rich idiots with their ridiculously edgy art collection. He unveiled things like a giant dead squid in a tank of formaldehyde. Or a vast detailed work in miniature that likened the fast food industry to the Holocaust and expected universal praise and plaudits. It was all so dangerous, so dark, that he never stopped to ask if it had been done before, or if it even needed to be done in the first place. I turned the tape recorder back on. The car doesn't really hit her, I said. What it does is snag her, then drag her down the street. She's upright at first, and the only noise she makes is a cry of mild indignation, as if she were standing in a queue and someone cut in front. Then you lose sight of her. My finger hovered over the stop button. After a moment, I continued. She tumbles, her head striking the curb. Then the pavement... Her legs pulled under the car and obliterated. You step forward to see what you can do when... Miss Thompson? I started a little. Brand's assistant had returned and was standing in the doorway. One eyebrow raised so high it was in danger of being sucked into a jet engine. I couldn't tell if she'd been listening in or if it was just her general attitude, but it was clear that she disapproved of my presence. She cleared her throat. <clears throat> Mr. Brand will see you now. I blinked, and she smirked as, just for a second, I let my surprise register. I'd already written this one off, and she knew it. Brand keeping his appointment was just not on the cards. If you wouldn't mind following me, she asked. There was just enough snark in her voice for her disdain to remain plausibly deniable. Brand's studio was a converted warehouse space, 
located in what had been a rough area a generation ago. He didn't have to worry all that much about being stabbed or mugged anymore, but there were still just enough rough edges to entice young people with a sense of adventure. Bran's arrival was surely a harbinger of the gentrification that was shortly to ensue. Shit, if his art didn't sell, this building would probably be worth a small fortune just a few years from now. It was certainly big enough. It hadn't looked all that big from the outside, but it felt like we walked miles of concrete corridors before finally reaching what I assumed would be our destination. This is Bran's studio, she said, pointing to the plain wooden door in front of us. The rest of the building is mostly storage for his old pieces. Everything he's yet to show the public is through here. What's it like? I asked her. His new stuff, I mean. She looked at me like I was an idiot. I don't go in here. I've never seen it. She didn't knock before opening the door. I wondered what I should infer about their relationship from this. As she ushered me through, I was struck by a sudden, strange urge to beg her not to leave. I didn't want to be alone with Brand. Before I could give my concerns voice, the door had been closed behind me. Shit. I muttered. Guess we're doing this. The space was vast and well-lit. Sculptures, or what I assumed were sculptures, had been pushed back against the walls. There were dozens of pieces, each one almost scraping the ceiling 20 feet above. It looked like the paintings and works in miniature were things of the past. I stepped towards one of the larger works, reaching for the sheet that covered it, when I heard someone cough. <coughs> Brand was working in the far end of the space. It looked like he was focused on a giant stone frisee that took up most of the wall. There was a stepladder parked off to one side, but Brand was down on his knees, apparently fixated on some detail located at about belt buckle height. Mr. Brand? I asked as I drew closer. The piece itself was another one of Brand's visions of hell. Tormented faces leered at us, one seeming to blur into the next. I had to admit, he had a flair for working with stone. Whatever I had to say about the subject matter, it was hard to believe that what I was looking at was just a sculpture. It looked so... alive. Brand finally stood up and deigned to acknowledge me as I drew closer. Trite, he said without looking over his shoulder. Derivative. Pedestrian. He rolled this last word around his mouth in a way that made me feel vaguely uncomfortable, then pointed at a magazine on a glass coffee table just behind him. Your words. I looked closer. It was indeed a magazine I'd written for. I don't think it'd been in print for a couple of years, and I'd stopped writing for it long before then. Long time to hold on to a grudge. That was one of my first writing gigs, I told him. I was just... Brand turned suddenly to face me. There was a grin splitting his cadaverous features. Everyone's a critic, he said as he stepped forward to offer his hand. But only some get to go professional, am I right? I took his hand tentatively. Right. I'm... Sorry? Don't be. I wasn't. Truth is... He continued after finally letting go of my hand. You weren't too far wrong. I decided then and there I wasn't going to let Brand call the shots on how this all went down. 
I owed it to myself more than anyone else, to be honest, to call him out on his affectations and artistic shortcomings. Shit, this guy was worth millions. He could go home and cry about it to one of the Basquiat originals he had hanging on the wall of his penthouse. I know I wasn't, I told him. He blinked at this, momentarily thrown. Yes, well, that's a big part of the reason why I thought I'd have you, of all people, through a viewing of my new works. You're literally one of the first in this world to see what I've got planned. I'm flattered, but... Oh, come on. You're under no obligation to like it. I brought you here because I want your honesty. I wanted to tell him that I'd heard pleas for honest feedback before and never believed any of them. I was here to appreciate his genius, to have all my expectations and preconceptions blown out of the water. I could see it in his eyes. What he wanted from me, and at the end of all this, was my unadulterated praise and adulation. All right, I said. Let's see what you got. Wonderful. Now, this first one. I call this a good start. Remember that old joke, what do you call a hundred dead lawyers? Only in my case, I'd probably replace lawyers with art critics. I gave him a weak smile as we headed to our first exhibit. It was laid out on a large table. He pulled the sheet covering it back with a flourish. He didn't say anything. Just stood there, waiting for my reaction. It took me a moment to properly realize what I was supposed to be seeing. Christ, I muttered. The work was a collection of six wooden chests, full of black soil from which yellowed bones protruded. Human bones. I spotted finger bones, ribs, the empty orbit of an eye socket. Next to each chest, rather incongruously, sat an empty milk carton. And each carton was a picture of a missing person. Yeah, not exactly subtle. Brand appeared at my shoulder. What do you think? He asked. Honestly, whatever it is, I can handle it. Not really my thing. I remembered that I said I was going to be honest. That didn't stop me from being diplomatic. I mean, I can see the effort. Brand snorted. <laughs> oh, come on. You had so much to say about my last collection. Okay. I took a deep breath. <sighs> it's an extremely poor taste. You'd probably call it provocative or confronting. Oh, I would. He gave me a weirdly genuine-seeming smile. I bit my lip, remembering again what I told myself. I just think it's kind of sick. Not really scary or dangerous, just mean and disrespectful. Jesus, they aren't real kids, are they? They're as real as the bones. Okay, look, maybe I'm not the one you should be showing this to. I don't want to kill your exhibition before anyone's even seen it, but if every piece is like this, I've got to warn you that I'm not going to have many words of praise. That's fine, that's fine. Shall we move on? I shrugged. Your funeral. He laughed. Ha! <laughs> yes, quite. I'd thought the next piece was a large storage crate when I first walked in. It was a concrete cube, ten feet per side, featureless, but for a hole drilled in the center of one panel. 
It was like a giant die with only the first face. I call this one the prisoner, Bran said. More of an installation than a sculpture. I don't get it. He smiled. Put your ear to the hole. It was only my journalistic ethics that kept me from telling him to go fuck himself and leaving right there and then. I put my hands on either side of the hole, then turned my head and put my ear up to it. I listened. Help. At the sound of the voice, I recoiled. What is that? I asked Brand. A recording? Oh no. He said. Nothing so crude. Go ahead, you can interact with it. I hesitated. Then turned back to the piece. Hello? I yelled into the hole. Anyone there? Help me! Was the response. Whoever they were, their voice was hoarse and faint. He won't let me leave. I was the arts editor for the Times. My name is... I wrinkled my nose as I stepped back. I think I'm spotting a bit of a pattern here. You're setting up some alternate universe where you're actually a serial killer or something? These pieces are all sad attempts at breaking the fourth wall. You don't just want to be thought of as edgy. You want us to suspect that you're genuinely dangerous. Infuriatingly, he just laughed again. <laughs> Very good. I take it you remain unimpressed? Look, you've got a career, a lifestyle that anyone would be envious of. I don't know why you're chasing a blurb from me. You want the truth? He sighed, wringing his hands. Your last review inspired something in me. He shook his head. Not inspired. Awakened. You're seeing the pieces in isolation, but once you see them as individual parts of a whole, I think you'll appreciate that this, this collection is my masterwork. I pinched the bridge of my nose. I should have bailed, right there and then. Nothing good was going to come of me continuing to hang out with this rich, overrated hack. Look, he said, we'll skip the next piece. I don't really think it's for you anyway. There's one I think you're really going to like. Follow me. Brand's studio space seemed endless. As he led me through the maze of exhibits, all of which were covered in white sheets, I wondered if he ever got lost. Did his assistant know what he did in here all day? Tending to one of the largest herd of mediocre sculptures I've ever seen assembled in one place? I'd hoped that she wasn't depending on this paycheck to be long-term. I resolved to tell her to update her resume on my way out. Here we are, Brand said, stopping at a piece about the size of a car. I might call this one the Bad Samaritan, but it's a work in progress. He whipped the sheet off. It was the size of a car because it was actually a car. I felt my stomach do a slow roll as I looked it over. Not just a car. The car. A recent Japanese import. Red. Four doors. A human-sized dent on the right front panel. The same description I gave to the police. I took a step back. What is this? I asked. Something hit me in the side. 
I cried out in surprise, then the pain hit. It was worse than anything I'd ever felt, like nails being pounded into the soles of my feet while every hair was being pulled from my head simultaneously. My legs folded up and my bladder felt weak. I heard a crack as I hit the concrete floor and dimly realized that I had just broken something. It didn't seem to matter too much. I heard Brand chuckle as I lay twitching from the agony. <laughs> he stepped into my line of sight and said, Taser. He held up a little black box for me to see. The streets are awash in firearms, but this proved surprisingly difficult to find. Again, I tried to say something. He just shook his head. Your central nervous system has been scrambled, Miss Thompson. You should be able to talk in a moment or so, but don't even bother trying to move. I wanted to ask him why he was doing this, but my tongue was too heavy. Even breathing was difficult. It felt like there was a rhino standing on my chest. He leaned down and started rifling through the pockets of my coat. I tried to struggle, to recoil, to scream. Nothing happened. Here it is. He said, plucking my tape recorder from the inside pocket I kept it in. You say it's for recording notes and interviews. Not like you need an excuse, being a journalist and all. There's only one story you've been working on, isn't there? The same story, dictated obsessively over and over. I felt tears prick the edges of my eyes where he rewound the tape, then hit the button for playback. For a moment, you can't do anything, I heard myself say. Everything goes still. The car is stopped, its engine purring. The woman has disappeared under it, and if she's still alive, she's not making any noise. The windows are tinted, dark enough to dissolve the driver behind them. The moment stretches, then the car peels off. The first thing you think is that you failed to get its license plate. You forget all of that once you see what it's done to the woman. Brand snickered. <laughs> this is my favorite part. She shattered. My voice on the tape continued. There's no other word for it. Shattered. Like a china doll. Something intricate and exquisite damaged beyond anyone's power to put it right. And yet somehow, she still clings to life. looking right at you. She's trying to ask you something. You can't hear the words, but you know what it is. She wants to be held. Consoled. One last moment of tenderness. No! I managed to whisper. Quiet! Brand snapped. You don't move. I said on the tape. You watch as her eyes go dark. Pupils dilate like a black curtain has fallen across them, and again, you believe you're seeing something dissolve in that darkness. Brand hit stop. You've got away with words, he said. I'm the first to admit it. You might have been better off coming up with ways to excuse your failure to help a stranger than spending so much time and energy skewering my work. This is sick. I tried to scream at Brand. It came out hoarse and breathless. There's something wrong with you. <laughs> he laughed as he kicked me over onto my stomach. 
Everyone's a critic. Only some get to be part of the thing that they've criticized. I felt him grab my arms, and then heard a click as something cool and hard was fastened around one wrist first, then the other. Handcuffs. He tightened them until they bit painfully into my skin. He dug his fingers into my upper arm, gripping tight enough to leave a bruise, then started to drag me across the concrete floor. As he walked by more of his pieces, he yanked the sheets away. You recognize Wong from the Chronicle, don't you? He asked as he revealed an iron cage that contained an emaciated corpse impaled on a thick black spike. He pulled another sheet from a tank of water. A bloated, waterlogged corpse with long red hair floating near the top. How about Hudson from the Weekend Supplemental? Please, please stop. I begged as he dragged me. I won't tell anyone. I won't. Hudson said I was lacking in maturity, although she did allow that my latest work had a certain flair missing from my earlier pieces. Wong called me competent, yet unremarkable. The kind of artist whose work will never outlive him. I didn't let them go. What chance do you think you have, Miss Trite, Derivative, and Pedestrian? I take it back. You're a great artist. A great man. Uh... Oh, I know. He stopped and lifted me over his shoulder. Again, I tried to fight him. Again. The best I could do was to keep from blacking out. I know I'm a great man, and I knew you couldn't be a good person to attack me so. I spent a lot of money looking into you. I wasn't at all surprised when, after just a few days on your tail, my investigator spotted you failing to render assistance at the scene of an accident. He laid me down on my side in a concrete box. Much smaller than the one he was using to imprison the arts editor from the Times. This one was more like a coffin. Six feet long, two feet wide, two feet deep. I barely had time to register this when I felt something thick, cold, and heavy poured across my chest. What are you doing? I gasped. Concrete. Don't worry, you'll drown before it sets. I tried to think of something more fitting, more poetic, but this has a certain horrible finality to it, don't you think? I opened my mouth to scream. Something gritty filled it and I nearly choked. I'm not a cruel man, Bran said. So on your way out of this mortal coil, I'll tell you that I did actually catch up with the driver. You'd wondered, hadn't you? How could they just drive off and abandon someone to their fate? It's a pity you didn't think to ask her yourself. The assistant. I wanted to scream. And would have if it wasn't taking everything just to keep enough air in my lungs to stop from breathing in a lungful of concrete. Was she in on this? Was it her idea? Did she know, as she led me to my fate, that this is what Brand was planning? It's a new way of expressing oneself that I've invented, Brand said. And I'll be the first to admit that these first works are crude, incomplete. Perfecting this new art form, this is my calling from this moment on. Don't feel bad that this is the end for you. Feel elated that you get to be part of something great. I could already feel the concrete setting, sticking to my fingers. 
soaking my shoes and filling the gaps between my toes. Any chance I had of getting out was slipping away. If you're curious about what dying feels like, it isn't peaceful. It isn't like going to sleep. The best you can hope for is that your brain will deny what's about to happen to it. The slow strangulation that awaits once your oxygen supply is completely cut off. Mercifully, that's what happened to me. What I latched onto in my final moments were two slightly contradictory, complete, fantastical statements. One, that this was happening to someone else. Someone who deserved such a horrible fate. And two, that there was no way this was the end for me. Someone, something would stop this from happening. I pinged between these thoughts until the darkness was complete. A darkness you could believe yourself dissolved in. Everyone's a Critic, written by Lachlan Watt, and performed by Kelly Nianaltowski as Miss Thompson, Graham Rowett as Fletcher Brand, S.H. Cooper as Brand's assistant, and Justin McElroy as the art critic from The Times. My Dinner with Bob was written by Michael Zenke and performed by Sarah Thomas as Samantha Winters, Graham Rowett as Bob, and Alistair Mackey as Todd. Music for these episodes was written by J.M. Scherf. Artwork and creative direction is by Cassie Pertit. Social media and Patreon support by Brooks Bigley. Videography by Hale Scherf. Audio engineering and sound design was by me, Jason Wilson. Episode 11 has just made it to your ear holes, so that means we are nearing the end. There are two more regular season episodes remaining with a recap of all of the Samantha Winters episodes in order for you to get ready and up to date for the finale. We appreciate all of you and thank you for giving us positive reviews and five-star ratings on Spotify and or your podcast app of choice. It means the world to us. It allows us to do what we love to do. Also, make sure you're stopping by thegrayrooms.com and check out our new look. It's pretty sweet. We truly truly appreciate each and every one of you. Well, it is that time to jump back to the drawing board and get this season in the books. So till next time, we will see you in two weeks. <laughs>